0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson.
1: Amen. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14 is where we're going to be here in just a second. Um, Obviously, we're switching things up today with our application Sunday and doing lunch instead of breakfast. So we're going to jump right in this morning uh, to our discussion. As far as announcements go, um, Dave did post the schedule for Um, The Memorial Day uh, service opportunity that will come up at the end of May, so encourage you to go ahead and start looking at your calendars and trying to figure out when um, it would best work for your schedule to serve that day. We'd love to have you out there. Um, It's always a big event, a fun event. It's great to come and serve and then stick around. A lot of um, festivities that take place that day. It's my favorite event that we do just because of all the extra stuff that's going on with the food courts and the arts and crafts show, the parade. Um, Just a lot of fun to kick off the summer, so I encourage you to uh, be a part of that um, at the end of May on Memorial Day. Um, Revelation 14, let's go ahead and jump in there. Um, Over the past five or six weeks or so, we've really been in Revelation 14 exclusively, so all of our application discussion today will come from that chapter. So I want to read that chapter again, just to remind us of where we've been over the last month. For those that are visiting, um, we do application Sunday every Uh, six to eight weeks or so, um, it's a chance for us to kind of pause and reflect on some of our previous sermons that we've done over the past month, month and a half, um, talk about some of the application points, uh, even get some feedback at times from how we've already been applying that, and so we want to continue that that method today. So in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind... As first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead, with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, "'Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe.' So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who has authority over the fire, and he who called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, "'Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vines of the earth, for its grapes are ripe.' So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the grape winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Um, Today, like I said, we're going to go back through some of these sermons, talk about some application points. I have, I think, five specific questions that I want us to talk about and discuss a little bit this morning as well. Um, And so we'll start with one of those. Before we got into Revelation 14, we talked um, exclusively about the Antichrist. We saw what the Antichrist, um, what was revealed about him in Revelation chapter 13. Um, We looked at some other uh, scripture passages from other passages in the New Testament specifically that talk about the Antichrist and what to expect. And so we did kind of a full discussion on the Antichrist uh, before we jumped into Revelation 14. So I want us to start by asking the question, what do you think is the most important uh, the most important things uh, to remember from our Antichrist study? What do you think is most important to remember from that Antichrist study? So I want some feedback from you guys on things that you remember uh, from that Antichrist study, things that kind of stuck with you, things that you think we need to carry with us moving forward. see so there's still a lot of question marks surrounding what the Scriptures teach about the Antichrist, but there were some clear things that we hit on. What do you think are some of the important things that you remember from that study that you would want to carry with you moving forward? Because this is one that comes up a lot when you're talking with people outside of church. What do you think about the Antichrist and that type of thing?
2: So that it's important to know the truth now, to be studying it now, so that when the time comes... We already know what's happening. We understand it better. We can communicate it to those
1: around us better. Okay, so knowing, knowing the truth now so that when deception comes later, we're prepared for that deception. We're able to communicate it to others around us. We're able to recognize it and know it ourselves.
2: I think the biggest thing I got out of that was that, that he's not the most feared character in Revelation, Jesus. Is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, so he's, we don't have to fear the Antichrist. Scripture certainly reveals Jesus as one who has far more authority than anything the Antichrist possesses.
3: Um, that we have to prepare ourselves um, and to be prepared that the Antichrist, uh, obviously to some people who are not believers, sounds really good, and that they can see the truth in that rather than the real truth. So we have to prepare not only ourselves, but then prepare ourselves to speak to other people and mm-hmm. show the gospel to other people Yes.
1: Yep, preparing ourselves, preparing others. You know, we talked, a, we talked a lot during that study about um, some of the times where maybe we've even been tricked or deceived by some of the things that have circulated, false teachings that initially sounded good to some of us. I expressed and confessed some of the things that I kind of bought into early in my life and um, how we kind of recognized some of those things and came out of some of those things. And hopefully, as we continue to mature in our faith, we're less likely to have to do that. We're less likely to fall into something and then have to get pulled out of it. Um, because we want to recognize those things as they continue to increase as we wait for Jesus to come back. Other things that kind of stood out to you? I
4: think one of the things that, that took away was not so much related to the person of the Antichrist, but the timing. They thought about that time of restraint, and that mm-hmm. that's an opportunity yeah. for us until that restraint is never that rebellion starts, that you know, it's the time that we need to be using to try to reach those
1: in Right, absolutely. Yeah, we talked about that time of restraint um, that was highlighted in... Um, Second Thessalonians, that that God is withholding some of those things. He's withholding the purposes of evil right now, um, and during that time, uh, the implication is, is that the deception hasn't fully set in, and so there's certainly opportunity to share with others before they get um, drawn into that deception that comes. Right? We we saw in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist comes impressively, right, with uh, signs and wonders and the abilities to basically impress and entice people to, to pay attention and to follow. Um, and, and so we want to communicate truth leading up to that point so that hopefully less and less people are, are susceptible to that type of deception. Anything else that stood out to you from that study on the Antichrist?
0: One thing that, that I've remembered is um, following the beast is a decision of the heart, not an economic decision. Yep. Yeah. And So rather than spending time trying to figure out what is the mark, what does that look like um, from a technology point of view. It's instead save that energy and
2: focus more on on your heart and what, what God's word says.
1: Yeah, we talked about not getting too caught up in what the mark of the beast is and um, worrying about should I use this new technology that's out um, and, and panicking a little bit about whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Instead, realizing that it's going to be a heart thing versus an outward thing that's done that's really going to be the, the thing that someone's found at fault in. is, um, Am I worshiping the beast by doing whatever it is? Am I giving my allegiance and my security to something that's outside of Christ? All right, let's see what the summary sentence was for that week. It It said that Christians have a responsibility to respond to current Antichrist, to prepare for future Antichrist, and to take comfort in knowing the lamb will ultimately defeat the final Antichrist. So we see Christ has been superior to past Antichrist. Uh, a lot of false teachings have kind of fallen off the map, like they haven 't been sustained there's some that continue to to mount and continue to grow, and we can trust that that Christ will supersede those uh, those false teachings and uh, those false teachers. Um, as well. And then ultimately, as it continues to get worse and and potentially when a single figure shows up at the end of time, that Christ will defeat him as well. And so for me, I think it's really important for us to remember that antichrists have come and more antichrists are coming, that we should not uh, we should not grow confused or concerned if we see more and more deception set in. If we see more and more of a separation within the church of, of some churches wandering off into false teachings and others staying true to the gospel, I mean, that's part of what we see at the end of Revelation where when Jesus shows up, man, he, he sets a harvest, right? Like he's going to come and reap and separate the wheat from the tares. Um, and so we should expect to see that even as we get closer to Jesus coming back. Antichrists are going to continue to come. There's going to continue to be false teachings that circulate, and we should expect that more and more people will fall prey to that. I don't have current numbers, but I remember when I've studied Mormonism in the past, like it was staggering to realize how many Southern Baptists were, were converted from Southern Baptist Christianity to Mormonism. Um, that they had wandered away from their, their, their teachings that they had grown up within the church and had wandered off and were now a part of the Mormon gatherings. I mean, it was, it was a staggering number. And so we should expect that, that that's gonna be true, that we're gonna see people fall prey to some of that deception. Shouldn't, shouldn't alarm us necessarily that, that Jesus has, has lost control. It should alarm us that, man, the times are closer, and Jesus is coming back, and so we need to communicate to others before that deception sets in. But we shouldn't lose heart in thinking that Jesus has lost control as anti- Antichrist continue to come. Uh, we've talked about being active during the time of restraint, um, that before that deception comes, man, we should be very diligent to share the gospel with those around us, that it, be, it will only become tougher potentially as Jesus comes closer to coming back, that that deception continues to set in more. Uh, be prepared for that time of rebellion. That means we need to know the truth ourselves so that when the Antichrist comes with that deception, we don't fall prey to it. And be encouraged by the time of retribution. Second Thessalonians, man, it's written to encourage us that one day Jesus is coming back to punish those who have brought harm upon the church. And so we can weather that storm now. We can endure any type of persecution that comes now knowing that Jesus is coming back to put an end to that. All right, from an application standpoint, that week we saw we need, to for, uh, we need to regularly gather with other Christians and call others to do the same. Man, if there's one thing that, that I continue to see around me is that there's less of an urgency to meet and gather on a weekly basis in a church setting with other people physically, right? There's, there's continuing to be this mindset as, as technology increases. I think the, 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 um, the temptation is going to be, hey, we don't have to go. We can still listen to that sermon later in the week. We can even watch it potentially as, as more and more uh, churches are able to offer live streaming even. But we can stay at home today and watch this. And that's where we just have to protect ourselves that we don't get into a mindset that coming to church is coming to hear a sermon only right that we come to gather to fellowship that it that it's the springboard for the rest of our fellowship throughout the month right that we come we gather on Sundays to celebrate the resurrection whether it's Easter Sunday or not we come to gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus we build relationships with the people that are here right and then we kind of springboard out from this and fellowship throughout the month right that's why we 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 don't want you to just come sit sing here and go that's so why we have even our discussion groups on Sunday so that you're kind of forced to interact with each other. It's so why we stop and do application Sunday so that you're, you're, uh, you have the opportunity to stick around after or before a service and eat breakfast or eat lunch together so that it, it causes you to want to come to men's and women's dinner nights. It causes you to want to come to our C group gatherings. You want to come and serve alongside of each other. Um, because that's, that's, that's the necessary component, that relationship building is what helps sustain us through deception, right? The Holy Spirit seals us, but the Holy Spirit uses the fellowship of other believers to keep us sealed, to keep us encouraged so that other human beings can can, um, can call us out when need be for encouragement, can, can lovingly rebuke us when we need to have it as well from, from sinful tendencies in our life, right? Number two, we need to really know the truth before deception comes. Um, that's, that's probably why we even felt compelled to start offering these uh, Matt 20, 28 nights where we can come and build even more so on what we've been studying on Sunday mornings. We want to make sure that we cover all that Christ commands us to do. Encourage you to be here this Wednesday night when we do our next one. Um, Megan Allman's coming. Like I told you, she's going to talk apologetically about uh, how we advocate for the unborn, how we can understand some of the deception that continues to, to grow that this is an okay practice and, and we're kind of numb to it. Um, hopefully she'll be able to come and, and kind of give us some new ways, new fresh ways for us to advocate for the unborn. So I encourage you to be here this Wednesday night, Matt 28 night. Um, we'll be at 645. Doors will open at 630. We'll be done by eight o'clock all right? So gather with other Christians, know the truth before deception comes. That's the the big things that I want you to remember as far as an application standpoint. Man, keep gathering with the local church. If God ever takes you away from here, get into another local church very quickly, right? And take personal responsibility to know what the truth is, what God's Word has to say, particularly about Jesus, right? Because 1 John uh, describes Antichrist theology really being focused and centered on a distortion of who Jesus is. So know the truth about Jesus uh, so that you're protected from coming deception. All right, the next week when we got into Revelation 14, we talked about the song of the 144,000. The summary sentence for that week, despite the plans of Satan and the Antichrist, the Lamb still stands victorious with his faithful army who celebrate the victory of their salvation and preservation. We said, coming out of Revelation 13, man, it's kind of a bleak picture, right? Like you've got the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan really looking like they are winning the battle in chapter 13. And chapter 14 starts off real quick to remind us, man, there's a whole bunch of people that don't take the mark of the beast that are sealed with the name of God, right? And they are celebrating on that mountain. They are singing a song that nobody else can sing, right? And we talked about how singing songs uh, from, a, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, you only really get it and appreciate it if you've experienced the truths of that song. And so when it says that they can't learn it if they took the mark of the beast, it doesn't mean that they can't tangibly understand the song. It means that they don't, they don't get it. They don't understand the experience of a song of victory through Christ, all right? Um, so we talked about standing confidently with Jesus. Uh, Jesus is described as being on Mount Zion, We kind of looked back into the Old Testament and saw how Zion is a picture of victory, Um, and so we can certainly be encouraged by that. Um, Number two, we said to sing loudly because of your victory, to appreciate what you've come to know. Um, We even highlighted the fact that they can take all of our comfort, right? They can take, uh, because in chapter 13, we're described as not being able to buy and sell and eat and drink because we won't take the mark of the beast. But what we are described as being able to do in chapter 14 is to sing. And I told you, a minute, immediately drew images of my mind to Paul and Silas, who, who had all their comforts taken away, they're thrown into jail, but they're singing, right? They're singing out of joy and contentment, knowing that Jesus remains in control of their lives and will take care of them. And that's kind of what we see running through chapter 14, is that we don't have to worry about the things that we give up to follow Jesus. We certainly put our hands in, uh, souls in his hands. Um, we put our souls in his hands, and we can trust that He's going to take care of us. Um, And then lastly, in that section, we saw that we have a responsibility to separate ourselves because of our identity, right? That as we stand and and celebrate that song, that there's a picture of purity that takes place um, in the life of a believer. Going back to Revelation 14, um, who are those that are singing? It's those who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. So from an application standpoint that week, we talked about, do I need to confess and turn from any impure relationships in my life? Do I need to confess and turn from any impure relationships in my life? Um, is there any possibility of impurity creeping into my life right now? Right? I shared with you, I think, when we were teaching through this, um, a friend of mine whose, whose spouse has fallen prey to not eliminating the potential of an impure relationship, right? This individual was, um, was selling stuff, basically just reselling stuff, met up with a woman to sell her something, forged a connection through that interaction of selling something to her and couldn't let go of it couldn't let go of it, and continues to remain in communication with her right now. He and his wife are going through a divorce, wants to leave, leave his wife, leave his kids, and pursue a new relationship with this woman and her kids, all because he was not protected on a day where he probably woke up and felt like just any old other day, right? Met somebody and did not cut it off and allowed that to fester in his life, and now it's, t- it's tearing his family apart. Man, if there's anything like that in your life right now, whether you're married or whether you're single, any type of impure relationship that needs to be dealt with, man, I can't appeal to you enough to deal with that today, to cut it off today. Scripture describes believers as pure individuals who do not defile themselves with impure relationships like that. Man, and, and this, is, this, is, this, is real, this is real application right here because I, I don't want to ever have to get to the point in our church where I'm having to counsel individuals in our, in our church because they have not cut something off and have allow, allowed it to fester and now it's causing uh, families to be split apart. Man, if we could avoid those conversations later by, by applying what we need to apply right now today, man, we'd be all the better for it. Cut off anything today that is leading to possible impurity in your life. Number two, are there any failures of honesty in my life that I need to fix which leads to our second question that I want to get some feedback from you. Have you had any opportunities to demonstrate truthfulness since we preached this sermon? Any opportunities where you were kind of reminded? I shared with you last week that I had the, the two checks come from my insurance company where I felt like they had overpaid me, and it would have been very easy to just go cash those in and be happy with, with the, the benefit towards me, but felt compelled, hey, As a believer, as a follower of the Lamb, truthfulness should describe me. And so I called the insurance company to try to make that right. They said, nope, there's no error on our part. You keep the money. Um, But certainly felt far more compelled to deposit it into my account, realizing that they were good with that, right? Anybody have an experience like that since we've done this sermon where you were in a situation where you were tempted to not be truthful or not be as honest as you could have been? We're reminded of this, man. I'm a follower of the Lamb. I need to pursue truthfulness and took action steps accordingly. Anybody have any stories like that to share as a as a point of already applying it in your life?
4: Yep. Thought about you when this happened. I went through the Chick-fil-A Drive through it. Uh, yeah, that's right, Dallas. He always lasts, story. laughs about my a stories. And so the double drive through goes together, there were a little, little chaos, and they brought me my food, and I got up to the front of the window, and they're not paying attention, and I said, Hell, 20, I said can I pay somebody? And they said, uh, well, somebody already paid for it if you have that receipt on your bag. And I said, okay, so what I would do, and they really didn't know, it. I said, is it my birthday today? And they said, yeah, <laughs> sure, <So> it is, <laughs> and then I just left, and I got free. So, but anyway, I thought about your story as that was going on, because I was going, nobody's going to take my money, I guess i just get treated today. Yeah.
5: So, cool. Yep. I had one. You all know that place up here on the corner of the barn thing? I had bought, um, what did I buy? Oh. A um, air mattress. They had air mattresses, 30 bucks. It was like, cool, I can always use an air mattress. Um, so the first one that I bought had a giant hole in it. And I took it back, and the guy said, I said, I want the same one, but I want to look at them first. And the guy said, um, well, here, just take two, and maybe one of them will work out. And I said well. And he said, well, you bring the other one back. I mean, I live right there, so it's not that far, but so you bring the other one back, or whatever. So I took them home. They both worked. They were two different kinds. I liked them both. They were super nice. And um, I was telling David Thomas and Jordan that, and they said, I said, I don't, I mean, I don't, I feel like I need to go pay them for it. I didn't necessarily say, bring one back if they both work. I mean, he just said, "I people basically, we just want to get rid of them. So I finally was, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I was on my way home, and I was like, no, nope, we got to go in there and pay them their $30. And I went in there and specifically told them, they said, well, you know, we could never know. And I was like, yeah, I said, but as a Christian woman, I can't let that be on my conscience. I mean, the Lord was saying... And then as a result of that, I spent, like, $100 more. dollars. same cattle with the blowers. <laughs> um, but anyway, I mean, I felt like the Lord's gonna kind of bless that situation just because of building relationships with those people who were local right there and being uh, known
1: that way. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and we're definitely coming up on a season, obviously, um, where it's going to where. You could be tempted to be dishonest with your finances with tax season, right? Like, I and mean, we should be the we should be the honest and the most pure individuals under our government, whether we agree with the taxes or not, whether we agree with how we get charged or not, right? Like we're called to be submitted to our government. That, that God's put our government in place and he's put the leaders in place that he has, whether we agree with them, like them or don't like them, right? They're the leaders that God has allowed to be put in place. He has given them their authority they have instituted a tax system. Man, and we all know that there's ways to get around certain taxes. There's a way to, to, to be dishonest, potentially, and to justify it. Man, I would encourage you in light of this sermon, especially with tax season coming up, to strive for honesty in your dealings with our government. Don't, don't try to skirt the system to save yourself a little bit of extra money, right? Don't, 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 I think that opens up the door for other compromises. Anytime we make compromise in our life, it allows us to then potentially move forward into different compromises in our life. Man, cut the compromises off everywhere you see it to protect yourself from future compromises. Um, we also talked about truthfulness not just always being related to, to money, um, but also being related to, to how we interact with each other, right? Like I shared with you the account where I felt like I had to be really honest and truthful with one of my, um, my, my teachers, one of my employees that had come to me and asked for something Had asked for feedback, asked for insight. I could have easily kind of just dismissed that and kind of worked around it. But really felt like, man, as a as a as a boss who wants to portray truthfulness, felt like I could do that, do it in a loving way, do it in an appropriate way, but but do it in a responsible way to communicate to her how she can improve uh, in her job as well. So encourage you to think through this as we continue to move forward. Um, What are ways that I can be more truthful in my life? How how can I be characterized? By this um, and and be described in this way, because that's how we're described in the book of Revelation if we're a follower of the Lamb. All right. Uh, We continued through Revelation 14, um, looked at the three angels and the three warnings that they give from a summary sentence standpoint. uh, Believers have a responsibility to call others to respond to the gospel until the very end while also remaining faithful themselves by living obediently and believing rightly, which will result in eternal rest and reward. We saw um, from these three angels, the first angel comes and communicates the gospel message that can still be embraced, right? So we talked about mimicking that first angel and spreading the gospel, Uh, being, uh, being aware that the gospel has remained consistent for all time, that salvation is always the same, right? And that it's always available until Jesus comes back. Even in Revelation, we see the gospel continuing to be communicated. Even as deception is starting to set in, there's still the opportunity to come to Christ. And so, because of that, as we've already said, let's take advantage of that time of restraint. Let's mimic the first angel. Let's spread the gospel. Um, and when we do that, and somebody truthfully and, and rightfully responds to the gospel, the, the book describes what it looks like, right? It leads to proper fear of God, it leads to proper worship of God, and it leads to that individual dedicating their life to God's glory. That's what it looks like to respond to the gospel. That's the fruit of obeying the gospel is that we fear God properly, we wanna worship him properly, and we, uh, we wanna dedicate our lives to his glory. We talked about that second angel that comes and hearing that second angel and rejecting the world, right? First angel t- tells us to mimic him and to spread the gospel. The second one t- challenges us to hear that message and to reject the world, to not become numb or confused by the wine of this world, right? The angel says, man, Babylon has come and has caused people to drink that wine and to become drunk on sexual immorality and deception, basically. Right, And so we want to reject the world's enticements. We want to reject the world um, and its message and protect ourselves from deception that could come through that. Um, and so we want to hear the warning of that second angel. And number three, we want to respond to the third angel and obey the word, right? We're described as people who obey God's word. And, and to remember, in light of Revelation 13, there's certainly going to be threats upon us if we obey God and don't take the mark of the beast, right? Like we're going to be threatened with our lives, You won't be able to eat. You won't be able to drink. Uh, We may kill you for this act. But the threat of disobedience is far less than the threat of, um, or the threat of obeying Jesus is far less than the threat of disobedience, right? Um, We look at that last angel, and those who take the mark of the beast worship its image. They drink the wine of God's wrath. It's poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the Holy Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And so the application for us was to obey the word to maintain right behavior, and number two, to keep faith in Jesus, to maintain a right doctrine. Um, to to understand that our deeds go with us, right? Because in the next verse, I heard the voice from heaven saying, Write this: Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, blessed needs as a spirit, they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Right? So nothing gets lost. Uh, on Jesus. Jesus sees everything. He will commend everything when he comes back, and so as we wait for Jesus to come back, we need to maintain good doctrine, right doctrine to believe the right things about Jesus, and to maintain right behavior to obey the word. Uh, This past week in our C groups, we talked about um, commands that are easy for us to obey, commands that are hard for us to obey. How do we Bring those closer together to where the hard commands become easier because we've seen from Scripture, man, God's commands should not be burdensome upon us, right? Like they are good for us. Um, and so I want, to, I want to pose a question to you. I want to explain to you what the question means first, um, then pose the question to you, get some discussion about that maybe, and then also let you guys share any discussion that came out of your C group that you feel like might be good for everybody else to hear. In our C group, I kind of shared from my perspective that, that God's commands that are kind of hard for me to obey oftentimes are more the commands of things that we're told to do versus things that we're told not to do, right? Like I feel like I'm I'm, I'm far better at not doing the things that we're told not to do than doing some of the things that we're told to do. Um, and so we talked in our group a little bit about how um, sometimes it's hard to share the gospel with other people. Um, it, it's hard to do some of the things that we're supposed to do. And And I brought up the point that um, for me, it's hard for me to share the gospel, but I don't need to go to any classes on how to share the gospel. I don't need to go get any further training or equipment on how to respond to questions that people might ask when you share the gospel. Not to say that I'm, I'm fully knowledgeable about those things. That's not my hangup. It's not my hangup as far as not knowing how to do it or not knowing what the gospel is or being scared that they're gonna ask me questions that I don't know how to answer. I just don't deem it important. I just forget about it. In the busyness of my life, I forget to share the gospel. I mean, if you told me right now, hey, I need you to go share the gospel with whoever's working at Subway today or whoever's eating lunch at Subway, and you challenged me, hey, go down there and share the gospel with that guy, I would say, okay, let's go do it. Let's go do it. But if, if, if I'm left to remember that somebody is eating at Subway today that might need the gospel, and I need to go down there and share the gospel with them, I'm just not gonna deem it important. I'm gonna forget about it. And and what I shared with our group is it falls in line with this thinking that um, I read a, a pamphlet a while back called Tyranny of the Urgent. Anybody ever read that book? Okay, Tyranny of the Urgent basically says that too often we get caught up in the urgent things of life and we forget to do the important things of life. Okay, The urgent things are things that we feel like, I have to get this done. If I don't get this done, something bad is gonna happen. And we don't do the important things in life. To give you an example, I could easily come home and not play with my kids because I feel like it is urgent to respond to a parent email, right? Like my job may be on the line or I can convince myself that my job is on the line if I don't take care of this right now. So we're very very good at identifying the urgent things in our life. And oftentimes we forget some of the important things in our life right? The important things are the things that when, when you're on your deathbed and you look back and try to try to think through, what, what do I hope I've done in my life? Those are the important things, right? The investment that we make in our spouse, the investment that we make in our kids, the impact that we make on people around us. But oftentimes on a day-to-day basis, those aren't the things that we consider urgent. It's paying bills, it's answering emails, it's doing this, it's doing this. We, some of the people in our group shared that um, it's hard for them to to obey the command to study the Bible, to, to make time to do that. I don't struggle with studying the Bible, but it's not because I'm better than anybody in this room. It's because studying the Bible is a necessary, urgent thing for me. It's urgent for me, you know why? Because on Sunday mornings, I have to step up and preach out of my personal study. If I don't deem it urgent and important, you show up on a Sunday morning and we don't have anything to do. Right? like We can fellowship, we can pray, we can sing, but there will be no sermon if I don't deem it urgent to get ready to teach on a Sunday morning. So for me, studying the Bible, man, it's not even something I think about during the week as far as should I do it, should I not do it, do I have time to do it, do I not have time to do it? There's an urgency because I know you're going to be sitting here every Sunday looking at me and saying, what do you have? What do you have from your studies this week? If I did not have that urgency, I would be in the same classification as a lot of you that struggle to prioritize studying the Bible. So in my group, and the question that I wanna kind of pose to you this morning is, are there some ways to increase your urgency about the importance of God's commands? Is there any way to increase the urgency to move it from just being an important thing to being an urgent thing that you feel like you have to do and to not do it would be to drop the ball with something? Um, An example that I shared uh, in regards to hospitality. Let's say that like, obviously we understand hospitality is an important thing in scripture, right? Like it's, it's talked about throughout the New Testament that believers are supposed to be hospitable, but it could very easily simply stop at being an important thing. And you look back over the last six months and you realize, I haven't invited anybody from our church over to our house in the last six months. Do you think it's not important? No, you would say it's important. It's just not an urgent thing. It's not an urgent thing, right? On a night when you could have had somebody over, you were instead fixing something on your house and going to Home Depot to pick up something to do so, right? Like that was urgent that night for whatever reason. But the important thing would have been, man, where's the hospitality at? So I said for our group, man, one way you can make that urgent is if you just communicated to our C group, hey, I wanna let you guys know in the next month, I'm going to have everybody over to my house at some point in the next month. Well, now you've created kind of a state where, well, if 30 days go by and I haven't had anybody over, then I look kind of silly, right? I was sharing with our group, we, me and Lauren watched a TV show on Lifetime this week called This Time Next Year. Anybody heard of this show? It's really weird and I haven't figured out exactly how they do it, but basically they, they bring somebody on the show with the host and this person says, in a year, I'm going to have done this. Um, one lady came on and said, this time next year, I will have lost 100 pounds. Um, somebody else came on and said, by this time next year, I will have found a kidney donor for myself and will have hiked the Appalachian Trail. So they have this little discussion about what this person wants to do in the next year. They dismiss them and somehow they, I guess they merge the uh, the two videos together because it basically has the host saying, okay, goodbye, and they walk through a door. The host walks across the stage and then out the door comes this person and it's a year later for them. Um, So they've had the conversation. I guess the host wears the exact same clothing, but they walk across the stage. And so this lady walks out and she's 80 pounds lighter than she was a year ago, right? So she wanted to lose 100 pounds, but for her, she knew a year from now, I'm gonna stand on this stage and either look like a fool because I didn't lose any weight or be celebrated because of what I did. So she walks out and she says, hey, I haven't lost 100, but I have lost 80. Man, I feel great. So the lady walks out and she's like, we found the kidney donor. Right? And me and my mom, we hiked the Appalachian Trail. So there was kind of an urgency that was created. Hey, in a year from now, I'm going to be held accountable for this act. So can anybody think of any creative ways that maybe something that you struggle with to do that God has commanded us to do that you deem important, you just haven't reached the point where you consider it urgent? How are some ways that we can maybe create an urgency to it? Anybody, as I was talking, think of a way that maybe something you struggle with, how you can move it from important to urgent to ensure that it gets done. Yep.
4: Uh, Just communicating your goals to others. Just being verbal about it and voicing those, those goals.
1: Yep, so one thing we've done in our accountability group is Jesse took on secretary responsibilities for our group, and one day every week, He text messages all of us and reminds us of one person in our group and the goals that they set at the beginning of this year that need to be accomplished before the end of this year. So we're praying for each other every day, a different person every day, and we're seeing the goals of everybody in our group, but we're also, as the individual, when it's our day to be prayed for, we see, oh, those are my goals. (laughs) Like, I'm supposed to be doing those things, and my guys in my group are praying for me that I would do those things and I'm going to look really silly at the end of the year if I've made no effort to do those things that I told them I wanted to do. Um, so that's a great way to, to, within your accountability group, even share and say, hey, here are the things that I'm supposed to be working on. Hold me accountable to it. Other ways that maybe we could move from important to urgent. I guess just, um, like Jesse
3: said, just asking for help. So kind of piggybacking off of that. So not only telling people what we want to do, but asking for help when we... Yeah, for accountability and then show something. Like, Andrew and I have been going through, we've found a Bible reading plan, so we've been going through it, and there are some days where after I've got Elliot down for bed, like, it's like 10 o'clock, and I'm like, oh my gosh, just saw three of my chapters. And so, it's like, you know, and then I'll text Andrew and say, like, I am so tired, and I just want to go to bed. But then he encourages me, you know, to ask for help, because sometimes we go through life and we just think we can do it all by ourselves, but like you said a few Sundays ago, but that's not what... God made us to do, not
4: to go through life alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So in RC group, we uh, identified um, commands that are hard to follow personally for each one of us individually, Um, and then following that, we determined specifically what were the issues in our life that, that made that a hard thing to follow. Um, and so we wrote those down, and we wrote down uh, prayers for each one of us individually uh, to help us get to that point, uh, to make it an urgent thing. Uh, then we also put down scripture next to that um, to help encourage you to do those things. In um, that way, so we posted it on the city honor group, that so way we can go back and pray for those individuals in those areas. Um, and then we also made a list of the people that, are, um, that we're trying to pursue that are lost, um, so
2: we can go back and pray for those people. Um, it's, not, it's not entirely practical um, but it is kind of a mindset shift so um, an example is you know, me trying to share the gospel with my sister um, we have a lot of things that we like in common and so we have a tendency to just talk about other stuff um, but if I sit down and this is true for a lot of different things if I actually sit down and spend time and ask myself uh, is talking about this valuable, is talking about that valuable in an eternal sense, and then like really just facing myself with the difference between what's important and what's, you know, right there. Mm-hmm. It kind of holds me accountable to say, okay, like I can go in and talk about, you know, whatever for an hour, but the only thing that's really a truly loving thing to do would be you know, to work it towards the gospel and to do that. So really just assessing for yourself. Are the urgent things urgent? And if they're
1: not, then, you know, really helping yourself to see it. -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or let's say you have a friend that you know is not a believer, and it's not hard for you to say, hey, you want to go get dinner sometime, right? But a lot of times the approach that we would take would be, hey, let's go get dinner sometime, and I'm going to hope that in the midst of that conversation over dinner, I'm going to turn this to gospel things. And I think most of us would confess and say, a lot of times that doesn't happen, right? Like we end up getting in there and we end up talking about other things. We lose track of time and now it's probably not okay to bring it up because we're almost done. But you kind of shift that if you, if you text or call somebody and say, hey, let's go to dinner and I would love to talk to you about this in the course of our dinner that night, right? Now you've kind of set the standard that if I don't bring this up, I just look silly calling myself a Christian, telling you I need to talk to you about the gospel and then we go get tacos and we don't ever talk about it. Right. But if I tell you up front, hey, I'm asking you to go eat with me tonight, and I'm telling you that I'd love to talk to you about this in the midst of our conversation. Now you've kind of set the standard, this person's expecting you to bring this up. Man, I would encourage you too, like in regards to the the Bible study piece of things and like studying the Bible on your own and and spending time with Jesus. If that's a hard thing for you to commit to do each week, man, make it an urgent thing by starting like a like a a Bible study or devotion at your workplace. Right? like Put that out there and say, hey, every Friday I'd love to get together with, with any of my coworkers that would like to come and do a Bible study together, and we're going to study this book. Now you've kind of obligated yourself. You have to show up ready to, to lead that. right? So now you've kind of created an urgency. You're still accomplishing what needs to be accomplished, but you've moved it from just being an important thing to being an urgent thing as well. Um, so I'd encourage you to think through back to some of the things that you shared. What's hard for you to do that Jesus has commanded you to do? Is there any way to shift it from being just an important thing to being an urgent thing to where you create a way in your life to make sure that's getting done either regularly? If it's a one-time thing, you ensure that it gets done that one time because you've moved it to a state of urgency in your life when you're talking about priorities. Um, love for you to pick up that book. It's, it's really cheap on Amazon. Um, you can get even like a pack of five, so you can buy one and, and spread it around and share it with others as well. Tyranny the Urgent just talks about the priorities in our life. How oftentimes we're 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 too we're too concerned about the urgent things. We forget about the important things um, that need to be done. All right. Um, next, we talked about just we stepped away from Revelation a little bit and talked about okay, we're saying that we may die by not taking the mark of the beast. And then what do we do if we're the person sitting there going, I don't know if I could do that. Like I don't know if if really pressed, if I'd be willing to die for Jesus. Would I be willing to suffer? Physically, if somebody was physically tormenting me, and all I have to do is say yes, slap the mark on me, or or yeah, I'll bow down, right? Like it would have been a lot easier for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to just kneel down and in their hearts say, Jesus, I'm worshiping you right now, not this 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 golden image, and have escaped the fiery furnace, right? But man, this was a testimony, an opportunity for witness that they did not uh, miss out on. How do we make sure that we're we're capable of doing that too? We said that the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the assurance of the presence of Jesus, a deep knowledge of God's word, and the support of other believers are all necessary components for remaining obedient, even in the face of death. I think this is the necessary recipe. If these things are true in your life, if we ever got to the point where a golden image was erected in our town and we were told either bow down or die, that we could stand confidently and die if these things are true in our life, if we're relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit, Right? We talked about the difference between an Olympic athlete and the average athlete. Right? Like What separates us from watching the Olympics versus being at the Olympics? Right? It's a supernatural ability that's given to these people, not from a superpower type standpoint, but just a God-given ability to do certain things. And they, they, they tack that on with hard work and preparation, and it allows them to go perform on the Olympic stage. Right? And then a lot of us sit home and just watch the Olympics. Doesn't matter how hard we work or how much we prepare, we're just not gifted in that way to be able to do some of the things that they do. As a Christian, we all have the same level of gifting. We are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 talks to, Ephesians one talks about the, the spiritual blessings that are given to all believers, right? God bestows earthly blessings in various ways. Some people have high incomes. Some people have low incomes. Some people live in free countries. Some people live in communist type countries, right? God, God, God shares physical blessings in far different ways than he does spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings are equalized. Ephesians 1, we are possessors of all spiritual blessings, right? So we all have the Holy Spirit, who gives us the, the power necessary to do the impossible, right so if you think man that 's impossible to, to choose uh, death over simply bowing down to an image and, and being spared then, then that 's exactly why the Holy Spirit was given to us because that is impossible, but the Holy Spirit empowers us to do the impossible. Um, we find hope in the Holy Spirit, we find confidence in the presence of Jesus, we talked about Joshua his call to lead Israel into the promised land, and he is told to be strong and courageous and to do what was in the, the, the hardest thing he had ever done in his life, to be strong and courageous in the face of those enemies because Jesus was with him, right? God's presence was with him. We said that uh, God's promises remind us of his presence, and our obedience gives us confidence that God goes with us right? We talked about Moses, when he was disobedient, God's supportive presence was not with him. When Joshua and the children of Israel, who had just been promised that God would go with them into the promised land, they go fight Ai and they get defeated and God's not with them. And Joshua's like, whoa, where are you at, God? And God says, why aren't you being obedient to me? Right? Like, like, I will go with you, I will support you, but you have to be obedient to me. You, you've, you've allowed sin in the camp. We talked about Samson, a man who had God's blessing upon his life, superior strength to others around him. When his hair is cut, he stands up to go fight, doesn't even realize that the Holy Spirit is not going with him, right? Our obedience gives us confidence. So, man, if you've been kind of a, a nominal Christian, you haven't gathered with other believers, you haven't really spent any time in the Word over the past year, and that, that golden image is erected, and you're told to stand and, and, uh, and not worship it or, uh, as a Christian, but if you do worship it, you won't die? I mean, you may not, you may not be able to trust that you're going to stand and, and, and remain firm. Man, if you're relying upon the Holy Spirit, you have full confidence that God is with you on that day, man, you can stand firm in the midst of a, of a, of a horrible threat, right? Um, we said that the Word gives us perspective. The Word reminds us that uh, life and death here right now is not the end-all, be-all. We talked about finding encouragement in the church, right? That um, if we're all standing there and we're all choosing death over worshiping that golden image, it's a lot easier than standing there by yourself, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did it, the three of them. Daniel does it later in the book by himself, right? He goes to the lion's den by himself. Man, it's, it's a lot easier if you've got somebody standing with you. Man, don't stray away from the local church. Don't wander off and try to do this by yourself. You've got to stay a part of a church. You've got to stay a part of a church so that you do this with other people, right? Um, so the application from that week, which area needs to be solidified in your life? Is it... Better understanding the power the Holy Spirit gives us is it better understanding the confidence that we should have with the presence of Jesus is it the word uh, changing your perspective a little bit about on what's important and what's not important is it finding a deeper level of encouragement within the church the question that I want you to ask yourself um, this is question number four I think is um, have you completed the city app accountability form right like this is you thinking back and saying Who are the two people in my life at this church that I want to help come get me if I fall into sin, right? And don't feel bad if you haven't because a lot of people haven't done this yet, right? Like I checked this morning, 18 people had filled it out. One person had filled it out twice. So technically it's 17 people that have filled it out out of, I think we have 43 adult members of our church, okay? So a lot of people haven't done this yet, right? Like it's posted on the city, All you have to do is go in there, put your name in, and put the names of two people that you value in this church as people that would come get you if you started to stray away in sin, right? Um, We've asked all of you to do this when you joined our church. We're just trying to update the system, right, because some people have left our church that you had written down previously. So, man, it takes literally 10 seconds to go in there. It'll take you longer to find it on the city to go back in and do it than it would to actually fill it out. And we can bump it back up to the top, okay? Go in, fill that out, immediate application from today, okay? And then I encourage you to tell the people that that you wrote down. Let them know, hey, you need to be dialed in and tuned into my life because you're the two that are supposed to come get me if anything ever happens, right? My two people are Ben and Jesse, right? Tell the people, tell them, say, hey, if I fall into sin, I expect you on my doorstep. I expect you to come get me and to rescue me and to help me see that I've been deceived, right? You're the two that I trust to come get me, right? So, man, put the two people down. Go tell them that you put them down so that they know to keep an uh, an active watch upon you, to encourage you, and to rebuke you when needed, right? Um, Last sermon we looked at was last week, The Harvest of the Earth. Summary sentence, we must prepare for a great harvest that is to come by spreading God's word now in anticipation of his coming to separate and to judge, right? We talked about Jesus coming, that the harvest is not here yet. We said prepare for that harvest by being saved ourselves, by bearing fruit, by preparing others, by working with others so that they can get ready for that harvest as well, that, that's sharing the gospel, rejoicing when people come to uh, salvation, pressing on even when it feels like somebody may never get saved, that we keep, we keep sowing, we keep sowing, realizing that we will reap, and we expect that harvest to come, that God's wrath is coming, right? The application... Who do you want to see saved before Christ returns? Number two, what needs to change in your life to see that happen? So question number five, the last question that I'll ask you in response to that application is, has anyone made any changes or had any opportunities to share the gospel since last week? And we discussed this. Anybody made any changes to put themselves around an individual more? Um, Has anybody had any conversations since last week particularly in relationship to sharing the gospel with somebody that you are actively praying for and wanting to see come to Jesus, any testimonies about that? Yeah, it's yeah.
4: like a half step towards kind of, I guess, putting myself in a position to be able to have that discussion. So last week, when you both a question about who that person was, we both turned to each other. My brother, who's was proudly nothing, and it's my big brother it's an like, it's, it's intimidating conversation for me to have And I just, I've been praying to have more boldness to be able to discuss with him and it's, also I think that it, well, it's hard for me because he knows me and he knows that you know, for a very long time Christ not reflected in my life so I feel it's kind of inauthentic or at least mm-hmm. until now been having a discussion with him in that capacity but just at least going, you know, he works in the same building as me, so we will get off around the same time, and I go and talk to him before we leave work, and just been the last couple uh, days last week, just kind of having discussions about us coming here and just the kind of the changes that they were not seeing reflected in our lives the last you know, month and a half, two months, and I guess trying kind to of ice breaking that a little bit to set that up in the future.
0: Awesome, awesome. Great. that's great. I feel like uh, as far as changes go. Um, the change that I've made recently has been uh, in my perspective, which may sound kind of dinky, but uh, <laughs> basically what I mean is like, I'm pretty sure that I was operating under like a, a real, if not verbally stated belief that um, God is not powerful enough to save my dad. Um, and so I feel like I was really challenged in my perspective since he, um, invited Jordan and I to go to the church that he's been attending. Um, and like I never thought that that they would come, that my dad would be the one to invite me to a church that he was going to, and I guess it just like really challenged, um, just really challenged like what I really believe about um, God's power and my place in his plan. I think I had kind of functioned off of this idea of like either God won't save my dad or if he does it's, it has to be through me um, and it doesn't seem like either of those are um, and so that's really just been a challenge that I've had to change in my perspective about how I view the people that are close to me that uh, aren't saved. i um, mm-hmm. really challenged by that, for sure. That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. So I had the
1: opportunity
6: to talk with the women this week. Um, I was encouraged um, by the conversation. Um, I was able to ask them some questions about um, what they believe and we talked about those and then they would kind of come back at me and I feel like the Lord um, allowed me to represent the Bible well. Um, and mostly I was encouraged by Questions um, and specifically find the answers from the Bible. Um, and so I was encouraged because, you know, and from then, and we're not going to meet this week because of the spring break, but next week um, we will meet, and, you know, hopefully they will have read the Bible between then and now, um, which is God's Word.
1: Awesome. awesome. I would encourage y'all to keep thinking through the things that we've, you know, kind of rehashed this morning. Nothing really new, um, but just really wanted to kind of go back again and, and talk through some of the things that um, God's Word calls us to do and some ways that we can reflect upon that um, and ways that we can seek to apply that in our life. So those notes are available. Those questions are available on our um, Google Drive folder. I encourage you to access those later if you need to. If you didn't write something down that you wanted to write down, those will be available like I said. I encourage you to try to strive to answer some of these questions in your own life and to make any necessary changes that you need to. Um, And that that leads us into protecting of the Lord's Supper this morning, um, which we do on all of our application Sundays. Uh, We do that because it's a way for us to publicly affirm that we're still saying yes to Jesus, and we're still saying yes to wanting to follow the Lamb. Right, and so we've looked at ways that that the Lamb has called us to follow Him this morning, and so by partaking the Lord's Supper, we're not saying that we are perfect, we're not saying that that we have it all figured out, but we are confessing that heart, that heart perspective. That man, I, I want to say yes to the Lamb. I want to do what the Lamb has called me to do. I want to be somebody who is described as truthful and pure and, and an obeyer of the Word. And our understanding of the Lord's Supper comes from First Corinthians eleven. Um, in in one area of Scripture, it comes from. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, and that's in verse 23, where Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so by partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning, that's what we want to do. We want to proclaim the Lord's death and obviously the resurrection of our Lord in that we are waiting for him to come back. And so by partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning, we are actively doing this together. We are proclaiming that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life which we see through the bread, the the life that was given for us. He came to die a sacrificial death on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. Um, and we anxiously wait for him to come back. And so um, what we do this morning is a public proclamation that we believe those truths, that we believe the gospel, that Jesus did come to be righteous and perfect for us. He came to die in our place, and he is coming again one day to collect us, to harvest us, to gather us to himself for eternity. Um, And we certainly look forward to that. And so we want to invite you this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you're a believer, you do not have to be a member of our church to do so. But we would um, say, based on the authority of Scripture, that you have to be a believer to partake. And so we would encourage believers to partake this morning. We want to offer you a time to to reflect and to pray and to make sure that your heart is where it needs to be to actively do that um, in an obedient way. Um, And so this is not, if you had a great week this week, you get to partake, right? Like you... You can be the, the, the work in progress that you are and still partake of the Lord's Supper, right? But it is a way for you to pause and to, to confess anything you feel like needs to be confessed so that by proclaiming this publicly, you are actively showing outwardly what is true inwardly, that you are saying yes to Jesus and no to sin to the best of your abilities as the Holy Spirit continues to change you. All right, so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to continue in prayer. Tyson's going to come and play some music. You're invited to step to the back and to partake as you're led by the Holy Spirit. And then we'll sing one closing song. At the end of that, we'll pray over our food together because you are invited to stick around and eat lunch with us. We'd love for you to do so and to fellowship with us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you for our discussion this morning. I pray that you would continue to use it to challenge us, to conform us into the image of your Son. Um, Father, make us more holy um, as we strive to obey your word. Um, Lord, I pray that by partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning together, that we would be encouraged realizing that we're not doing this by ourselves. Um, That if we ever have to make a choice between bowing down to a golden image or dying, that we'll make that decision with other people standing with us. Um, So, Father, we're thankful that we can stand and partake this morning and be surrounded by other believers in doing so we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus came to be the perfect lamb who lived for us and died for us and now is uh, in heaven in a way that we can follow after him. And so, God, we thank you for Jesus this morning, and we certainly look forward and are anxious for the day that he comes back. And so we proclaim the death and the resurrection together, um, looking toward and hoping in his return. God, I pray that you would encourage us through this act. I pray that Um, You would convict us where we need to be convicted as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.